When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode was born in Victoria, but we are going to claim her as one of our own, I think. We'll just ignore that little uh, footnote in history, uh, especially since that she's uh, been part of a really cool startup uh, that has its roots here in Perth. In fact, it has its roots at Curtin University and has grown on, uh, grown from there to become really uh, something quite innovative and something that we should all be proud of uh, as West Australians. Dr. Vanessa Rowland is our special guest. Vanessa, hello. Hello. Thank you for your time. Um, firstly, I just wanted to uh, ask you as a uh, as a research fellow at Curtin University currently, given all of the craziness that's been going on in the world, how has it impacted on your day-to-day life and and your role at Curtin University? Well, I'm actually an adjunct research fellow at Curtin now. So I've been um, full-time in the startup since about July last year. Um, So I'm not doing sort of a lot of day-to-day with the university. I am, though, um, supervising a couple of PhD students still there, and that has definitely um, been significantly affected. Um, Well, that they have been significantly affected by by COVID, and that's uh, impacted their data collection. Mm. Um, But I'm not actually in a sort of a, a lecturer role or anything at the moment at Curtin. So you're... But I, from what I hear from my colleagues, it's, uh, yeah, it's quite a new world in terms of making everything online, although a lot of courses have been online for a while. Yeah, and you'd think that one of the uh, profound changes that might come out of this uh, saga, uh, the move to online learning, uh, will be felt uh, at a university almost uh, as, as, as much as anywhere, even perhaps more so than a school. Um, at a university, the, the, the lasting changes to the way that education is delivered in a university might, it might not ever be the same again. I, I would agree. I would say that a lot of universities have been doing a lot of online um, courses. So mm. they're, they're probably more prepared than schools. I think this is a massive impact on, on primary schools and high schools. They definitely haven't been doing the online learning. So this yep. is a, a very big, new, um, daunting thing for them. But, um, yep. but certainly there'll be some university degrees, I could imagine, like uh, medicine, <laughs> that's going to be very hard to do online. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and I dare say we might need more and more doctors going forward uh, if we learn any lessons uh, out of this as well. Now, tell me about this Climate Clever Home app, um, which I mentioned just in the intro there, uh, really was born out of research at Curtin University, where you were based. Uh, But what is it? How does it work? uh, and, And who can benefit from it? Well, so the, the the home app is actually based on um, our first Climate Clever app, which was um, the Climate Clever Schools app, and that was really what uh, how we got started and through the research. And that's 
started back in 2012, actually, when I was doing my PhD under the supervision of Professor Peter Newman. Yep. Um, and uh, he had asked me to uh, to uh, help certify a, a local high school to be carbon neutral. And um, I'll, I can tell you the whole story of how that happened, but we basically ended up running a low-carbon schools program through that, and that's evolved into our climate service schools program. Um, and, and through that, we've now just released our, our home version. And basically how it works is um, it enables the user to, uh, to, tra- to calculate and, and track their carbon footprint and their utility bills from electricity, gas, water and waste. Uh, and then they can audit their, their house um, of all the different types of resource-consuming appliances like fridges and washing machines and um, computers and um, heat, you know, air conditioning and heaters and everything. Um, and then there's the, the last module is action plan. So then the app actually provides, with a, provides the user with lots of tips and advice and recommendations on what sort of low-carbon actions they can do around the house or you know, in the school um, that range from no-cost behaviour change um, actions all the way through to some you know, uh, retrofits or upgrades that might have a, a cost with them. But the idea is that um, it gives people a strategic approach for how to go around implementing change. And then they can actually measure that impact and see, you know, what difference they're making. They can see their utility bills coming down. They can see their carbon footprint coming down. Um, and so it's, it's, it's designed to motivate and inspire people. So if you came to my house and put one of these in, um, it's as simple as just installing it? Or do I have to kind of have lots of sort of smart connected uh, devices in my home to feed into the app? No, it's it's actually um, so you, uh, at the moment it's a web app. So um, we're working on the mobile app, which you'll okay. download from the app store. But at the yep. moment, you literally just um, type it into the, the internet browser, um, Climate Clever, and you log in. Um, and no, you don't have to have any smart appliances. It really is designed for for anyone just to um, to get to get on with it and not have to be limited by having you know. Because often it's the the rich people that have all the smart devices. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. Yeah, no, it's definitely um, designed for everybody. In fact, um, we won. We were very fortunate last year um, to win a Lottery West grant with a bunch of um, really inspiring not-for-profit uh, organisations working in the social services sector, and they had um, initially seen they'd seen me pitch at an event, um, and they or one person um, and from from Rise Network, Justine, and she really saw the um, the applicability of of the school app for homes and particularly low-income homes and those in financial stress. So um, we won this grant through um, with the generous support of Lottery West that's enabled us to build um, this first home version. So we're actually building two alongside each other. One is for those um, social service organisations and that's actually going to be called Bill Buddy. Um, it's, it's not released just yet. Um, and then we've got the Climate Clever Homes, which is for, for everyone else um, out there as well. Um, so, yeah, it really is. Anyone can get on board with it. For people who've put them in their homes, what are the big common lessons that come out of that? Because I imagine people, you know, might go into it for with different motivations. One might genuinely want to prioritise reduction in carbon footprint. Others might want to save a bit of money. But are there some sort of common themes that come from people's reactions to to signing up to the app and and plugging in all this data? I think I think you, you're spot on. It, it really attracts two different types of people. Yeah. <laughs> One that, um, yeah, that really does um, uh, want to do something about climate change. I mean, we've seen the groundswell of of um, people's motivation with all the climate strikes last year. Mm. Um, we've been seeing businesses getting really vocal about as well, and then obviously over. Um, this, this awful summer period with all the bushfires, you know, I think a lot of people are feeling very disempowered and, and want to take action but just don't know where to start or what they can do. And I think a lot of the time they think it's um, governments 
problem, which it sort of is. <laughs> you know, they've, they've got a lot, um, a lot of big decisions they need to make as well from an economy-wide perspective. But there's a lot of things that we can do in our individual um, homes and in our everyday lives that, that can make a big impact as well. So that's what we're, we're for those people. We're really trying to reach out and say, hey. You, got, you, you can do something um, yourself. And, and then for the other cohort, it's, yeah, maybe they're a little bit less um, concerned about climate change, um, but they're concerned about their bills or, um, yeah. And so those, those financial savings are a really good motivator as well. And the great thing about the Home app, and this is even pre-COVID, um, was that it's, you know, it's been based, the design has been based on the schools um, program, the schools app. So it really is kid friendly and it's, it's designed to be really simple and engaging, um, which is actually really great for adults, because particularly those non-tech adults. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so you can actually get your kids involved with it as well. So you can, you know, um, open up the app on an iPad, for example, give it to a kid. They can be um, entering the utility bills into it. Um, they can be, you know, running around the house doing the order, adding all the different appliances and then, you know, filtering through the actions. Every time you select an action, it asks who's going to be responsible for this action um, and when's it due. So it becomes a really it's a, a management plan, an online in, interactive management plan. Gives you, you know, sends you reminders. Hey, Sally, you know, you said you're going to have shorter showers. Is this in place now? And um, so, and a lot of those actions really are behaviour change type actions in terms of. Some of the big things that you know, just making sure the air conditioner is set to the right temperature, not being you know too cold because that, that uses a lot of electricity. Yep. Um, yeah, a lot of people have you know bath fridges in their in their garage and left on, um, you know, all year. They might only use it twice a year for a barbecue. So making sure that you're you're turning off a lot of these unnecessary appliances, which are yep. otherwise just chewing through uh, electricity. The other really interesting thing about the app and what we really want to stress to people is um, it shows the breakdown of your carbon footprint from the four utility areas, electricity, gas, water and waste. And while there's been a massive focus on waste the last couple of years, particularly through things like that ABC TV show, War on Waste, yep. and there's some you know really important measures um, and points that are made through that, which are a key that we need to really start recycling better and um, and asking whether we need to even purchase some things. But when you look at the carbon footprint, by far the majority is your electricity use and that, that's the you know the responsible for the most yep. um, carbon emissions. So that's sort of what we're really trying to push is this is the elephant in the room. Like you really need to start to address this. You can tick the green power box on from your electricity provider and that means that they have to source it from 100% renewable energy or purchase offsets to offset your your um, your electricity, or you can, if you can afford it, you know, go for solar. Um, but most importantly, just reduce. I think that's the thing that a lot of people they, you know, automatically go for solar, not not thinking about there's actually a lot of efficiencies we can do to reduce our consumption as well. See, I'm just having flashbacks to my childhood, Vanessa, where you know my dad occasionally would walk around the house and count the number of lights that he he just turned off in rooms <laughs> that weren't occupied. <laughs> and and now he wouldn't have to do that because your app would just tell me instead it's like having another nagging parent in the house <laughs> well well it is and and for those with kids it will be having nagging kids in the house and i've heard already stories from parents going you know sitting in the lounge room reading the paper and the kid comes in and turns the light off on them <laughs> He's yeah. like, we're trying to save energy be like well there's probably a you know certain line you can draw about mm. <laughs> using some essential lights but no it's yeah it's um i think i think in previous generations, it, we've sort of gone through a funny phase of, um, you know, being really sustainable and frugal with stuff and then sort of going through a very plentiful time. And um, now I think it's, it's time to get back to understanding how to be a bit smarter with resources. Yeah. Uh, we need to take a break, Vanessa, but uh, one 
more question on this after the break, uh, just before we uh, leave the, the coronavirus issue uh, to one side, because I know a lot of people at the moment are going to be at home probably chewing through unprecedented amounts of, uh, of power because they're, they're cooped up inside and trying to keep kids amused and happy and uh, watching, you know, binge-watching TV like never before. Uh, some of the things that they might be able to do uh, right now uh, to at least keep their power bills in check. Even more uh, reason to do that too with uh, so many people having to uh, make do with, uh, with less money coming into their bank accounts. So uh, I'll ask you that question after the break. Uh, Vanessa Holland is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories on 8826BR. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Dr. Vanessa Rowland uh, is our special guest. Uh, she's a research fellow at Curtin University and also the founder and CEO of Climate Clever, uh, which is uh, a very clever app that uh, helps you to track and save uh, on the amount of uh, waste and energy uh, that you're throwing out there into the universe. Uh, Vanessa, I mentioned just before the break, it seems like a really, really good time for you to be pushing this because there are going to be so many people cooped up inside at the moment, probably just going, you know what, my power bill, I just can't worry about it because I've got to keep the kids amused and I've got to keep myself amused. There's lights on, TVs on, iPads running, you name it, it's all on uh, in there. But what can people do to, to minimise that, uh, that, that shock when they open their next envelope with a power bill inside? Yeah, no, it's, it's a it's a great question, Tim. And um, there there are so many things we can do. And you're right, it's it's a perfect time to be thinking about this and and changing behaviours because when I guess when you think about it, which we're already changing our behaviour in terms of obeying our social distancing rules, washing our hands more. Um, it's a perfect time to actually start to think about some of these um, behaviours in your household that are probably good to do whether you're, you know, during COVID or stuck at home or um, whether you're not. Like, it's good just to have these these behaviours in place. So I guess some of the things um, right now, so I don't, I don't know about everyone else, but I've, um, I stole, not stole, it's mine, <laughs> the computer screen from my office. Um, <laughs> I brought it back home. <laughs> I borrowed it um, for my new home office. Um, and things like that, you know, just making sure that you're unplugging those sort of um appliances when you go to bed and when they're not in use because um, they, they can churn through a lot of energy, making sure, yeah, a lot of a lot of the new home office equipment is just um, uh, pulled out and even your TV when you're not using it, making sure that they're all turned off standby. I'm sure a lot of families um, with kids have PlayStations and all sorts of other equipment as well, um, turning them off overnight, that all, all adds up. Um, as you mentioned before, um, with your dad <laughs> when you're a kid, mm. making sure lights aren't left on in rooms that you're no, no longer in. Having said that, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of people walking between rooms constantly as their only <laughs> mm. <laughs> their sense of exercise. Um, and, um, you know, just uh, making sure that you're always opting for natural ventilation over aircon. Um, you know, really keeping an eye on if it's getting a bit warm outside, make sure you, you know, you close your windows and lock the cool air, you know, inside before just automatically turning on your aircon um, or, or even the heater. Yep. Um, other, other things like, I guess, because <laughs> we're stuck at home, we might be for example, boiling the kettle um, <laughs> at a regular rate for cups of tea to... Definitely. Uh, <laughs> to stop the boredom or, you know, <laughs> um, create a bit of a procrastination tool. Um, so making sure when you do boil a kettle that you're only boiling enough water for 
however many cups of tea yeah, you're about to have. I'm always overfilling it, but that's just me. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so the, the kettle um, randomly is one of the most energy intensive appliances in the house because it is takes right? so much to, mm. to boil. I mean, it's obviously a small appliance, but um, just the, the sheer amount for that small time period. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely keeping that um, based on the number of cups. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned before, just, you know, this is a great time to go around your whole house and sort of see what, what pesky appliances are sort of on without you really thinking about it. So, so those bar fridges in garages or, um, in, you know, locked away in the kitchen that you're not really using, just switch it off. Yep. Take, probably there might be some beer in there or something that's not going to go off <laughs> if, you, no. um, if you just have it sitting unchilled. It's probably more in um, danger yeah, of but... getting consumed right now than, than going off, I would <laughs> suggest. I think you're right there. <laughs> <laughs> just in terms of, of, of climate change generally being... Uh, near the top of the agenda for people. I mean, if we if we rewind the clock back, oh, two months, definitely three months, it was unavoidable. It was, it was front page news. It was, you know, top of news bulletins, uh, particularly uh, out of the bushfires um, that have just been the dominant news uh, item across the summer. Um, I, I can't remember the last time I heard people talking about climate change in the last, in the last two months since coronavirus came along. Um, it must be frustrating for people who are in that space, who are trying to push the message, uh, and, and it was so dominant as a topic of conversation and debate, uh, and then all of a sudden it's just, well, it's disappeared, hasn't it, for many people? It has, and, and you're right. It's, it's sort of, I mean, as tragic and horrible as the bushfires um, were, I guess a lot of us who are, have been working in the climate change space have been like, oh, this is, you know, this is the message that we need people to hear. It's only mm. going to get worse than this. Um, so we, yeah, I think a lot of us were sort of go, you know, not happy, but you know, as in we were saying, yes, you know, there is finally action and momentum, and people are understanding. Um, and that was, yeah, it was, it was an exciting moment to think we're finally going to get some real tangible action on climate change. Yeah. Um, yep. And yeah, it is it is devastating seeing the, the focus shift um, away from that. But having said that, you know, tragic circumstances at the moment as well. So we obviously need to, you know, we need to focus on whatever's going to, you know, be us. the yep. yeah in front of us and the best thing for human health. Um, the 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 little silver lining, um, and, and I've been reading a few articles about this um, in terms of climate change is because this virus has literally shut down economies, particularly China. Um, this is probably a, um, you know, it's, it's it's horrible to say, but this is probably a, one of the best things that could have happened for climate change. I, I think um, you will see a lot of reports come out um, towards the end of the year just demonstrating how much global emissions have dropped over, the, you know, the last nine months because literally factories and yeah. know, coal-fired power stations, everything is yep. just, sh- you know, shutting down. So um, it's, I think, yeah, that we'll see an impact of that. But as I said before, I think this is a time to reset um, you know, our way of thinking and, and from an economy point of view, but also from an individual point of view to, to demonstrate things have to be done differently and can be done differently. And, you know, even the fact that we're all Zooming now and Skyping and uh, having all these virtual meetings, I think that alone is going to um, open up um, a lot of, well, particularly businesses, um, minds about, oh, actually, maybe we don't need a fly to do this. We can actually do this um, virtually. So yeah. I think we'll see lots of different behaviours um, coming out of this. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's been astonishing seeing uh, people, particularly in you know parts of the world that are very, very uh, heavily industrialised, um, who haven't literally haven't seen a blue sky um, either ever or not for a long time, and now looking up and seeing a, a bright blue sky because you know, the factories, the machines are all switched off, and seeing that and just going, wow. 
Absolutely. And there's, there's, there's some reason. Exactly. There's some research coming out that demonstrating um, how many lives have been saved because of the yeah the the reduction in pollution levels, mm. um, particularly probably in, in China. But mm. yeah, it's it's fascinating mm. um, seeing all this different research coming out. Now, I mentioned before that you were born in Victoria. We are claiming you now as one of your own because you've, <laughs> you've been here long enough. I think, Vanessa, you've you've passed through your probationary period. Um, Thank but- you. <laughs> You are a Victorian, though, by by birth. Whereabouts in Victoria did you grow up, and what was your childhood like? I grew up in um, in Blackburn, in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so basically, a, you know, sort of your typical solid um, suburban upbringing there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, I guess one of the things that characterised my upbringing um, and childhood was um, was my experience with nature and the outdoors and the environment. Um, my family, uh, you know, we, we grew up, um, I guess, middle class, um, but not, you know, not extremely wealthy. So a lot of our, our family holidays were camping. Yep. Um, and uh, it was it was wonderful. I, it absolutely instilled in me this love for nature and the environment. I guess my mum probably in particular was, was very environmentally conscious and, you know, she used to wrap my sandwiches in, in um, paper rather than plastic and I was always so embarrassed at school. I'm like, oh, mum, you know, and I'd be eating carrots and everyone else was having packets of this and that. And um, But, you know, in a, sort of in hindsight, you kind of go, oh, she was actually, you know, mm, ahead of the was really trying yeah. Yeah, to, to do a lot of um, things in, in a sustainable way. Um, so, yeah, so childhood was all great. When I finished high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in terms of a career, but I knew that I was really passionate about the environment. So I thought, you know, maybe it's going to be something um, to do with that. I ended up finding a fantastic um, university degree in Bendigo. It was La Trobe University. Um, so that's two hours north of um, north of Melbourne. And I, I moved up there to do my Bachelor of Arts in Nature Tourism, which was an amazing course. It was basically... Yeah. Um, Camping and hiking and canoeing um, for for three years. So it was, it was, it was. People were like, what? You can get a degree for that? <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, no, it really gave me a strong foundation in, um, mm. I guess, environment theory, environmental theory, and um, sustainability, um, as well as you know, giving you the sort of. I guess most people came out of that degree becoming outdoor. Um, outdoor educators or outdoor guides. Um, some people um, did a dip ed and became teachers, um, outdoor ed teachers. Yep. Um, and, but I, as much as I loved that degree, I sort of felt like it wasn't my calling to um, to be a sort of a nature guide. But I was getting very inspired by the end. I did a, um, an assignment on wind farms and I was really excited about renewable energy uh, at that point. So I ended up, at the end of that degree, I took, put pressed the pause button and um, my dad's actually German, so I'm half German. So yep. I became... Um, very fixated on, I'm moving to Germany and I'm going to become German. <laughs> um, I've got a passport, but I can't speak the language. So um, I jumped on a plane um, when I was, yeah, I guess, 21. Um, and I said, bye, mum and dad. I'm going indefinitely. I'm not sure when I'll come back. Um, very um, stubborn. And then uh, ended up in Berlin. Uh, I spent two years in Berlin. I was an au pair at, at the beginning um, to help me sort of settle in and learn the language. Uh, and then had a bunch of odd jobs while I was in Berlin. Uh, and then at that, sort of after about two years, I was sort of feeling a bit lost in terms of what I was wanting to do. Um, and then I sort of remembered the environment. Like, yeah, that was my passion and my calling. And um, so I found another degree, a master's degree in, in Amsterdam. And I moved over there um, in, when was that? 2007, I think. 
um, to do my Master's of Science in Environment and Resource Management, and that was specialising in energy studies. So that was really starting to pick up on that sure. um, renewable yeah. energy focus that I was getting um, towards the end of my first degree. Um, Amsterdam was fantastic. Um, that was a, um, a year, it was only one year master's program. And that really opened my eyes to the whole yeah, environment uh, or the resource management side of things and um, introduced me to actually the notion of um, emissions trading or carbon trading, which the European Union was um, implementing at that time. They had just started the, the EU ETS, European Union Emissions Trading Scheme. Um, that was 2008 to 2012. Um, and I moved over to Stockholm. I just sort of Basically, um, capital city hopped around Europe, which was fantastic. It's like um, you've done the world's most boring Kentucky tour, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually often saying that to people who came and visited. That they were on these Kentucky tours that you know visited uh, you know hundred cities in ten days or something, and I felt like I only actually visited about um, five cities, but I spent a lot more time out <laughs> there. But, um, um, so it, it's yeah, interesting that it was windmills that sort of piqued your interest, interest first, and then that took you to uh, the home of the windmill. Uh, in Holland. Yes. Oh, that's true. I never thought about it mm. like that. <laughs> very true. Very true. Um, they so, they I, do I, generate a yeah. staggering amount of power, though, don't they, over there uh, through they do. through the wind? Do you know what? Yeah, they, they do. And, and um, the Netherlands was actually one of the first countries who, um, or maybe the first country that created emissions trading um, schemes because they were um, so progressive with their environmental and, and sort of carbon reduction um, activities or initiatives that they were doing that they realised that they couldn't actually do any more abatement, carbon abatement in their home soil because they'd done so much and it was getting really expensive. Um, so the idea of going, well, maybe we should fund Poland um, to do some activities because it's much cheaper for them to reduce their emissions than for us, you know, because we're already quite high up now, mm. uh, or low, low, I should say, low in emissions. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, the Netherlands has really um, done a lot around spearheading yeah. Um, climate action, as that's Germany, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, but the interesting thing that I, that happened from um, that master's degree is I moved to Stockholm to do my master's thesis, and that was around personal carbon trading. Uh, and that so that was basically taking that concept of emissions trading scheme, which is what we had in Australia under the Gillard government. Um, people called it a tax, but it was actually an emissions trading scheme with a fixed price. But taking that idea of going, you know what, what if we all have you know, um, 30 tonnes each of, of carbon that we're allowed to emit per year. Um, and then we have to individually work to, you know, so if you've got a big house and a pool and all these things, you might actually have to buy some more credits off someone else like me, who's very frugal with their energy. Um, I might use less than 30 so I can I can sell my additional carbon credits for someone else. Yeah. Um, so, so the, yes, the Sweden or Stockholm uh, Environment Institute was, uh, was interested in pursuing that notion at the time. So I wrote my thesis around that, which was really interesting. And that actually led to me um, eventually when I came back to Australia and Professor Peter Newman hiring me for um, the position at Curtin because yep. of that, that carbon, <laughs> carbon yep. background. Yeah. Um, just yep. before we get to another break, Vanessa, how much do you despise politicians? <laughs> <laughs> it's, look, they have a very difficult job, but sometimes you do want to just say, listen to the science. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, that's a very diplomatic answer. I'm sure there's a better answer that you're just not sharing with me, but I appreciate that you you might want to hold your tongue at the moment. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for preserving no your, your own position there. Uh, we need to take a break, uh, Vanessa, so uh, stay with us. Uh, this is Inspiring no Stories on 882 6PR. Back with more in a moment. 
You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Everyone has a story to tell. This one brought to you by Bower and O'Day. And uh, we are hearing the story of Dr. Vanessa Rowland uh, from Curtin University and also founder and CEO uh, of Climate Clever, which uh, we've heard a little bit about and we'll hear more about uh, over the next little while. But uh, Vanessa, I asked you just before the break uh, about politics and uh, and whether that's a help or a hindrance uh, to you in your pursuit of uh, of achieving better climate outcomes uh, for our population, you gave me a, a pretty diplomatic response, um, but I suppose there have to, there there does have to be some people in your space who do make some noise, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And and I do feel, uh, and I'm always very willing to to stand up and talk about um, why we need action, why we need um, politicians to act. I guess um, I listened to your uh, to the story from my colleague Professor Peter Newman, mm. um, who you spoke with a little while ago, and you know he referred to himself as a bit of a rat bag. And um, <laughs> I'm sure plenty said, would agree with him too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure they would. Um, he, he's, he's definitely sometimes a bit. We say like he's like a bull in a china shop. Um, yep. You know, he, he goes in there, he does, he rattles feathers, he says um, what he means. But you know, he like he actually says, you know, he's at the point of his career where people he's got influence and um, and he's allowed to do that. And I guess where I'm at, I'm like I'm a little bit worried about <laughs> how much I can say. But having said that, it does it needs voices from everywhere. And yep. I'm 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 often asked, you know, particularly with my. Um, I guess climate background. So when when I was um, the an academic at, at Cusp at Curtin, um, so that's where I've been for the last ten years. Um, I was teaching climate policy and um, decarbonising cities and regions, and um, I do feel like I've got a, a very good grounding in it. So yeah, it's very happy to put my voice to it. But having said that, um, yes, I I feel like we are um, very much hindered by by politicians and. Mm. Um, uh, the, the decisions that are sometimes made that, yeah, as I said before, uh, I just wish they sometimes listen to the science <laughs> um, yeah. more than, than making these um, political decisions which um, aren't in the best interest of our society. And, yeah. and having spent time in places like Germany and the Netherlands and Sweden where they have a completely different kind of energy mix uh, to us here, uh, are there lessons for us to learn from them and, and things that you brought back from your time there that you wish we did here? Yeah, well, one thing, I mean, particularly with Germany, they, they seem to actually come together and have bipartisan support for a lot of these, um, you know, clean tech or clean initiatives, um, which we just don't seem to have in Australia. We're constantly fighting and bickering um, the two sides of politics. We can't seem to come to the conclusion that, yes, this is actually a good thing for our economy. And I think probably because Europe is so smashed together and, you know, pollution levels are higher and they've got more people and less space, um, they can they see the, the need for our, a lot of the um, sustainable solutions is, is more apparent there. For you know, we've we've got the luxury of having a massive land mass, and you know, pollution is not as big a deal. Not as many people, um, and you know, even from a waste perspective, you know, the fact that we can just go and dump everything into landfill because we've got the space for it, whereas yeah. you know, a lot of Europe doesn't. So they have to do better recycling, and they have to do better resource recovery and everything. Um, and yeah, their their skies would be completely clouded in pollution if they didn't have um, the clean technology that they have. So I, I think, you know, the lessons uh, would be, you know, get our politics together and make mm. <laughs> get them both agreeing um, that these are these are 
actually really good um, things for our economy. Um, I think yeah. that's been one of the, uh, the the really great things uh, to come out of this uh, coronavirus uh, saga at the moment is that we're seeing politicians just put politics to one side and make decisions for the good of the country. It's been, actually been really uh, refreshing to see that. So hopefully it continues. Um, yeah. I'm a little bit cynical and I think we might revert back to uh, that bipartisanship in time. But anyway, I'll keep the glass yeah. half full for now and live in hope. Uh, Vanessa, when you first then came to Perth, obviously you've been speaking to Professor Peter Newman, who's uh, you know a, a big name uh, in WA um, and, and has a, contributed so much uh, to Perth and to WA over the years. But when you first got the call up to, to maybe relocate here after you've been you know in, in Victoria growing up, you've been gallivanting across uh, Europe, um, when you first explored the idea of you relocating and basing yourself here, what was the uh, the first thought that came to mind? Oh, it's so far away. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've just been in Europe this whole time and now I have to move to the other side of Australia. Mm. Um, but no, look, I, I, it was actually a bit of a funny story. I, I applied to be um, Professor Peter Newman's executive assistant, so it wasn't even an academic position at all. Um, I had come back from Europe um, in the midst of the financial crisis and there were no jobs um, and in, you know, particularly for sustainability or environmental type jobs, they were the first ones to go during a uh, you know, financial crisis. Yep. So um, I came back to Australia with very low expectations and very, um, well, my, I just, I guess I just thought that there's, there's going to be no jobs in, in um, the environment, well, it's just sustainability. So when I saw this job as um, that Professor Peter Newman needed an executive assistant, I thought, well, it's not ideal um, job for my career, but, you know, being the assistant to a professor of sustainability would be fantastic. I might make some contacts through him and then move into something. And um, the interview um, uh, went uh, quite, took an interesting um, tangent. He um, he basically, there was a, a few of them on the phone call and I was saying, why do you want this job? And I was really trying to convince them why I really wanted this um, this admin role. And then they ended up saying, look, we don't think you're suitable for this role, but we've just... Um, We've just won a, a grant, um, an Australian Research Council grant called Decarbonising Cities and Regions, and we think you'd be a good candidate to, to run that program, um, or that new project, research project. So I was sort of flabbergasted going, wow, this is <laughs> much better than what I was uh, expecting um, I was going to be doing. So um, that was all sounded fantastic uh, until he said, and as part of that, you'll have to do your PhD. And yep. then, you know, my, my jaw dropped. I was like, oh, I don't want to study anymore. You know, I just want to have a practical job. And, um, and he's like, well, it's going to be practical. We, we have industry partners and you can do as much admin as you want but you know it's, it's you'll also be on the cutting edge of research so um he was a very convincing um yes. person. so two <laughs> weeks later um i jumped on a plane and um moved over I, I initially thought um like i think a lot of people who come over to wa are like i'll just do my phd it'll be three years and then i'll move back to melbourne and i think after about three weeks of the beautiful blue sky of perth and the amazing beaches i think i was hooked straight away yep. and you know a decade later and here i am um, bought an apartment and very strong roots now here. Yeah, very good. And and as someone who, as a child, uh, fell in love with nature and, and camping, have you been able to explore much of, of WA and fallen in love with any parts in particular? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's, it's such a beautiful state. Um, my sister's actually um, been a, a teacher for, uh, for most of her career and she's worked a lot in remote Aboriginal communities. So I've had the um, uh, the... Um, opportunity to to go and visit her in so in um, yeah various sort of yeah very more remote areas which has been beautiful seeing a lot of the Kimberley and um, uh, very far out west as well um, 
and um, and also, yeah, so in terms of hiking and stuff, I've, um, I love the southwest. I've done the Cape to Cape bushwalks um, a few times now, yep. and that's just one of my most favorite walks yep. um, uh, ever. And, um, yeah, and I've done a bit of the Bibbleman, and, yeah, just beautiful. We're, we're so, so lucky. And that's mm. just, again, going back to our beaches, um, when I was in Europe, I remember going to, you know, on exotic holidays to, to beaches which had like, you know, pebble beaches. And I remember thinking, wow, this is in, in a different and interesting. And when I moved to here, moved to Perth and having white sand and apple water, I was like, <laughs> and space. won the lottery. This yeah. is amazing. This is yeah. heaven. Yeah. yeah. You're down right there. And uh, yeah. it's, um, it's great that uh, people are enjoying them, uh, well, in, in measured doses anyway at the moment uh, to get out, yeah. excuse me, get a little bit of fresh air and there's other times where they're otherwise uh, quarantined inside uh, their own homes. You've got to feel for people who do live in those uh, built up parts uh, of the world as well. Uh, we need to take another break, uh, Vanessa, but after that I want to ask you about uh, the future. Give us an insight okay. into what the future holds uh, in terms of, uh, of energy and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So stick around. Vanessa Holland uh, is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Dr. Vanessa Rowland, uh, who, among many things, is the uh, founder and CEO of the Climate Clever app. Um, Vanessa, was there a, a moment, uh, an energy efficient light bulb moment, if you will, uh, that, <laughs> that came to you and said, you must start this app, it will change the world. Was there one of those such moments? There, there was. Um, it was actually, yeah, when I was doing my PhD under the supervision of Peter Newman, he, he asked myself and a colleague um, if we would help a local high school become carbon neutral. And that it was at that point where we volunteered to help you know, do their carbon calculations um, and they became the first carbon neutral school in Australia. It was um, certified under the federal government. Prime Minister Julia Gillard came out and celebrated with us. It was a massive achievement. Um, and I was so inspired by that school. They had, um, saved, and since then, they've saved hundreds of thousands of dollars on their utility bills. They've dramatically reduced their carbon and environmental footprint. They've educated their kids around it and they've engaged their community. And it was really at that point that I thought, this is fantastic. Why aren't more schools pursuing this? And that was really the triggering point for me to go, if they're not doing it, why aren't they doing that? And I'm going to help make them do that. Um, so over the next couple of years, we, you know, I was applying for various research grants to try and get a pilot up and running. And it wasn't until 2016 that we got our first pilot um, uh, got going, and that was um, partnered with the city of Fremantle. And we ended up having 15 schools in that pilot. Uh, and we ran that uh, two-year pilot program. We did what we refer to as the low-tech, um, low-cost um, pilot. So we didn't have an app at that point. Right from the beginning, I wanted to create an app, but unfortunately, there was this little thing called money that we didn't have. <laughs> so um, we used Excel spreadsheets to calculate their footprint, and we used Google Docs for their actions. Um, and we basically took these 15 schools through the process of measuring and putting actions in place and monitoring it and um, getting to them to the point. And there was fantastic outcomes from that. They um, they reduced their carbon footprint um, by 20% on average um, through through measures, and 60% of the measures were no-cost actions that they put in place. And then um, they also saved, on average, $30 per student, so times that amount by the number of students, and it was quite a significant financial savings. So at that point, we 
we were lucky to get some grants and, and to start building uh, the, the app, um, which we then launched uh, nationally for, for all schools. But the thing that really inspired me, I guess, initially um, was this notion of um, by targeting schools and educating the kids, those kids take that knowledge home and they talk about it with their parents and they slowly educate and upskill their parents around this as well, or just pester and nag about trying to be more you know, environmentally friendly at home. Yeah. And then that knowledge can actually create a huge impact in terms of societal change and community change um, yeah, in terms of carbon emissions. So we'd always had this vision of having a home app because we thought this would be really cool to be able to track that, that intergenerational change and the impact because all of a sudden we can start to measure um, the household carbon footprint and link it back to the school to say, wow, this school has reduced its community's carbon footprint by, you know, X percent. Um, and yep. we thought that was that was pretty cool. Fantastic. And what does the future hold uh, for you and for that, uh, well, the whole, you know, fight for carbon neutrality, do you think? Um, I mean, WA in particular is, a, is an interesting case. We've got the potential for so many different uh, energy sources to really uh, take a, a hold here from uh, renewable hydrogen. We've got amazing stores of, of lithium in the ground here that are, well, that are being dug up, but there's plenty more there uh, to dig up. So that's going to change the car market um, particularly, but also battery storage at home, all that sort of thing. What what, what are people going to be living like in five, ten years uh, in Perth, do you think? I think I'm very excited about the future. I think we've got a very bright future ahead of us. I think, you're right, we're extremely lucky in WA. We, we're full of um, resources, which, you know, at the moment we are sort of digging up and shipping out in terms of some of the less renewable ones. But um, we, we do have uh, an amazing opportunity to, to really be powered by renewable energy. And you're right, with the lithium, um, there's a huge opportunity to... Because the, the battery storage, particularly at the home level, but also, you know, for the cars, that, that really helps it, um, to address the whole intermittency of renewable energy because we can all suddenly store that um, intermittent energy and use mm. it at those times when the wind's not blowing or the sun's not shining. So I think we're going to see a massive shift in the way we produce and manage energy, which, as I mentioned earlier, is the biggest part of our carbon footprint. I think there's very exciting things on the horizon there. Um, in terms of electric vehicles, they're still sort of saying it might be 20, 20 years of, not the electric vehicles, sorry, it's the automated electric vehicles. Um, but I think that's a, a very exciting future as well, where yeah. we're not all driving around in individual petrol guzzling cars. Um, it's going to be much more efficient network and, you know, still utilising the public transport network, which Professor Peter Newman is very, uh, mm-hmm. has been a big advocate for as well. Yeah. Um, I think um, having, you know, a lot of the, the things in our app, I mean, hopefully, in 10 years' time, our app is redundant because, you know, the app is really telling you about how you can do things around the house from a behaviour change perspective. But I do see in 10 years' time, we will have a lot more of those smart devices that are all connected that uh, are automatically switching off and turning on and doing all those things. So I, I think, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's going to be a very exciting future. We just yep. need to embrace it now and to be making decisions that ensure that we are doing those things in 10 years' time. You might be uh, doing yourself out of a job there, Vanessa. You might have to go back to being a camp guide, (laughs) which would be the worst thing in the world, would it? No, that's true, that's true. Uh, Thank you so much, though, for uh, sharing your story. We do appreciate it. No, thank you for having me, Tim. Absolute pleasure. Uh, You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little moments are everything. Uh, We've just heard the story of uh, Dr Vanessa Rowland uh, from Curtin University and the founder and CEO of Climate Clever. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA Inspiring Story.
You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.